0: Good morning. How are y'all doing today? All right, all right. Um, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to move myself over just a little bit. Um, uh, I am glad that you're here this morning. Uh, just, like, just like every week, we never know how we're coming in to Sunday mornings. Uh, don't know what your family is went through this week. You don't necessarily know what my family went through this week, Um, but we're here. We're here together um, as the body of Christ to to hear the Scriptures, to hear a sermon, to have fellowship with one another, to experience God through prayer. So I'm glad you're here. So welcome. Um, I got a few questions for us this morning that I feel like is often asked of us, maybe sometimes it's not directly asked, but it's often implicitly asked, but are you tough enough? Are you? Are you tough enough? Do you have what it takes? Are you bulletproof? Can you bounce back? So I guess it depends on the topic or situation, right? Because if you launch me into outer space without a spacesuit, I'm not tough enough. Uh, I am going to explode or whatever happens. Uh, I don't know what happens. Somebody tell me later what happens. Um, But I'm not tough enough. Definitely not bulletproof for that. And I don't have what it takes. Um, So as I was thinking about David, we're going through a sermon series on David, the life of David. He's a tough dude. This guy just is tough, you know? And sometimes we can't reconcile, some of us growing up in American culture and whatnot, sometimes we can't reconcile this warrior, but over here he's singing songs and writing poems, you know? It's like, it's cool, it's good, he's tough. But he also experiences great pain. And that's something that we're going to talk about today, is David in pain. So when I was preparing the sermon today, I thought about people that I think kind of they're tough, and I I came to, I thought, you know, well, people in the military, they're tough. Then I thought of my friend, Josh Miller, a.k.a. Miller Time. Uh, Asked Josh, hey, you're working with us now with Campus Outreach, the ministry I work with, but you're a retired Navy SEAL. You're pretty tough. You're pretty tough. How how many people make it through Hell Week? How many people make it through the training? I can look it up on Google, but what's been your experience? And he's like, well, the dropout rate of people becoming Navy SEALs is about 75%. 75% of the people drop out. He said his class started with 225 men. So now, now there's women also, but his class, it was just men. 225 men, and it ended with 60. So that's 26% continued on, and he was one of them. And he's a tough dude. He's an awesome guy. But who are these dropouts? Who are these guys that don't have what it takes, that weren't bulletproof, so to speak, that maybe couldn't bounce back or whatnot? Who, who are these guys? And know if... No offense if it's one of you, if you've gone through the Navy SEALs and didn't make it. But here's the thing. These are some of the toughest, baddest boys in the world that didn't make it. These men, these men, they, ha- they have what it takes. But there was something about this program. It's, it's like, but, but not for this. But these aren't. It's not me <laughs> saying, you know what, bucket list. I think it would be cool to try be a Navy SEAL. You know, my wife would say, "Mark, I love you," and I just, you know, you can't, you just, you can't run North Shore Park. <laughs> you're not, you're not going, you're not, you won't make it. But that's who these dropouts are. These are some of the toughest people on the planet. We all have limits. We know our limits on so many things. But when we get Push past these limits, one thing that happens for us is we break. And this is understandable. So one thing I want us to know today is that we are breakable. We will get pushed past certain limits. We will have pain. There will be suffering. So we get strength training, marriage counseling. We read parenting books. We listen to lots of podcasts. We try to get stronger in the areas of life where we feel like there's some weakness. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So what are your limits? Your physical limits, mental limits, your emotional limits? Because this side of heaven, there will be breaking points. 100%. There will be breaking points this side of heaven. Why? Because we are breakable. There will always be a need for strengthening in our lives. However, some things just aren't prepared, we're just not prepared for and don't really have the strength to stand. Even last night, I'm reminded of our vulnerability, I'm reminded of the brokenness of this world, I'm reminded of pain and suffering. One of my best friends from college, Mark Ballard, I just found out last night, he's my age, he has cancer. I think, I think we could all raise our hand in here. Somebody, People in here that have had cancer, have cancer, know somebody that has cancer. Sherry's dad died of cancer. We could go on and on with this. But it hit me again last night with one of my best friends from college, it's like, man, man, this guy, this guy, he's strong physically, he's strong mentally, he's, he's, he's strong spiritually, and he's reminded today that, that his life is in the hands of his Creator. He's been a youth pastor for over eight years in Macon, Georgia. He loves Jesus. He's given his life away. But there's pain so, how's he going to get through this? How's he going to keep going? The heart breaks. Our hearts break fairly easily. The heart breaks fairly easily, especially for those of you who love big and give big. There's something about pain management. There's a lot of you in this room that have, that, that, Maybe you've deceived yourself and thought, the way that I can strengthen pain is by not loving big and giving big. So you spend a lot of time protecting. But you know that that, that's not helpful. You know that that still doesn't protect you from pain. But see, break-in points, they remind us of our limitations. And we don't like that at all. I'd say most of us don't like sin. we're limited. When we live a good ordinary life, we come across millions of circumstances that press in on us, they shape us, and they do make us stronger. But many of them do in some ways break us. And I'm not talking about obvious sin. Sin will always lead to some kind of brokenness. And why is that? It's because sin's soil comes from a place of brokenness to begin with. So the things that you're doing in sin, they're coming from a place of brokenness, so it will lead to brokenness. Always, always. You can take that to your app bank. Always, sin leads to brokenness. That's another sermon for another time. So I'm not just talking about today brokenness over sin and the consequences of your personal sin. I'm talking about the regular regular things that come from us, that come to us from the outside, that push us to really hard places of anxiety, depression, despondency, anger, rage, and a lot of confusion. The outside things that bump our inside things in our reality, that's, that's where we struggle the most with pain. I have a friend right now that last week, he's a guy that just came off staff with us with Campus Outreach. Tough dude. He was cutting grass, slipped, and he almost cut all his toes off. Yeah, sorry. But you're right, like, yeah, that's pain. He's gonna be all right. Adam, that was Justin Wright, one of Adam's best friends. And the guy in his house runs out, their roommates, and they're, and I was like, "Well, what'd you do?" He's like, "Well, first we had to check to see if all our toes—my toes—were there." And it's like, man, was, you know, this little piggy went, you know, <laughs> you know, man, that's tough. And he's got this picture of his shoe; the toe of his shoe is just gone, but all his toes are there. But he's he's on bed rest; he's he's having to stay in his bed for over a week. That's painful. That's tough. He's going to be all right. He's going to be fine. He's, he's like, Mark, the doctor told me I have to chill and play video games and watch movies. It's like, okay. But at the same time, it's going to be hard. He's trying to move to Knoxville. He might land here with us. He's a great guy. and This kind of can slow him down a little bit. But things come at us, and we don't really know how to handle it. But I'm talking about those bigger things. Those bigger things that come at us. Where it really is we see that we don't really have much control. Breaking points are scary and very unsettling. We've been raised to think that we're supposed to be successful. We need to have it all together. And we need to move on when things get too hard. Our kids are taught to conceal don't feel. Don't let them know. They're to dive within and figure it out. Just do the next thing. Just keep swimming. Take control. And those of us from the 80s, Janet Jackson told us. Control. It was her song to us. Control. Just be in control. I'd like to submit today that control is often the reason we don't do well when the incredibly hard things of life hit us. We build safety nets of control for our families, careers, retirement, and even the church. These places, we give nod to God, but we give submission to the latest do better, be better, lead better trends. But these nets that we try to put in our lives, they really don't hold very well. When our foundations are built from our own wisdom and strength, we often don't know how to rebuild when the house falls. But we try again on the same foundations. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 30 today. You can go ahead and turn there. But I want to catch us up. Last week we finished on 24, today we're going to hit 30. But as we come into Samuel 30, we see the future King David who has seemingly forgotten the promises of God. He's grown exhausted from running from Saul. And as we will see, he and his men reach a breaking point that would devastate all of us in this room. So let's back up to 1 Samuel 24 through 29. At this point, Samuel has died. So Samuel has died. David's been on the run. He had another opportunity to kill Saul. Saul, the king, is chasing the future king of Israel. Chasing him down, trying to kill him. As Luke told us last week, David could have killed Saul, but he didn't. Saul tries to kill David, and Misses with a spear. David gets out of there. But then David has an opportunity to kill Saul, but doesn't. He takes Saul's spear in a jug and leaves. And then they talk about it, and in bottom line, David still doesn't trust him. So he still is running from him. But he's tired of running. He's tired of running. So he thinks, you know what would be a great idea... Instead of me just kind of being among the tribes of Israel, my people, the place where I'll be the future king that God has promised me, it will probably be it probably would be better for me to go hang out with the Philistines. The guys that I killed their giant. Let me go hang out with them. So at one point he does that. He starts hanging out with them. They're like, eh, you're the guy that defeated our army. This is just weird to me, how this would even be possible. But this one leader, his name's Akish, he's like, you know what? That's fine. You can hang out here. Just don't be dumb. And David is like, you know, doing what David does, being a great leader, leading his men well, doing stuff. Well, Akish begins to be really jealous of David, and he begins to get mad. And at this point, David's like, man, I've been running from Saul now Akish, and so David starts to act like he's insane. He starts to pretend that he's crazy, that he's insane. And Akish is like, hey, 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 you know, hey, you you move on right along. <laughs> so David gets out. He's on the run again. And so, so now he's like, you know what? Here's another time. Time passes. He's like, I'm. I'm just exhausted. I'm exhausted from all the running, from all the things, from acting, you know, insane. He goes back to Akish. And is like, hey, uh, let, me, let me post up with you. It, it'll be fine. And Akish is like, all right, you can go stay over here at Ziklag, this little town that Akish was basically... A king, a lord over, because the Philistines they had five they had five tribes, basically, they had five groups of all these cities with all these little towns of all these leaders, and Akish was one of the five leaders, and he says to David, "Yeah, go over here to Ziklag. so David and his four hundred plus men and all their families, they go there, so David starts to do these raids on these bordering towns so David is raiding these towns that, and these people that actually also go up against, not only the Philistines, but they go up against the Israelites. So David in his mind is like, I can go up against them. And so he slays these people, the, these raiders, these people that are always at war with the Philistines and, and even with the Israelites. But he's telling Achish that it's other groups and Akish is like, man, you're bringing me all these great spoils, all these great riches. You're the man. But, but David's just been deceiving him. David's been deceiving him because he's not going up against any of the tribes, any of the people that he's saying he's going up against. So Akish hears the word that, okay, the Philistines, we're going to come together and we are going to go against the Israelites, and we're going to take them down. So Achish goes up to David and says, come on, you and your men, let's go to battle against Israel. Talk about a pickle, right? The future king of Israel is now in the ranks and being honored by the Philistines and is now about to have to go fight his own people. So Akish is like meeting with the, the other four leaders. And it says the thousands of men of the tribes of the, the, the Philistines, they're, 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 they're coming past all these leaders. They're looking out at them. And these leaders are like, wait, 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 wait. That's, is that David? And Akish is like, yeah, he's awesome. He's so awesome. He's like been slaying for me. And look at all these spoils. It's great. They're they're like, dude, do you not know the song? It's like a one-line song. It's like Saul has slayed the thousands. David, the tens of thousands of us. (laughs) David has been slaying us. What are you doing? He's going to dupe you. He, he's going to get in there. This is his perfect place to get on Saul's good page, to come in with us, to, go, to start to go fight against us and be an inside 400 men and turn on everybody and start slaying. Nah, he's not going to fight with us. is like, like, nah, he's great. He's noble. He's honorable. He's a good guy. They're like, nah, sorry. It, no soup for you. This is not going to happen. We're not going to do this. Keisha's like, man. Goes back to David. David, I'm so sorry. You're such an honorable, noble guy. You're not going to be able to go fight with us. What providence of the Lord, right? But David, if you read in, in, in 1 Samuel 29, David, he's kind of upset about it. It's really weird to me. He's kind of upset about it. He, he, he's almost, it it's that taste of rejection, Even though he knows that this is his out, that this is good, there's some sense of rejection that he almost starts defending himself. No, look, I'm a mighty warrior. I could do this, but it's all right. This is what it is. God was looking out for David, big time. God got David out of that mess. But see, the writer of the text seems to give David some understanding. But he does not endorse David's plan and tactics this whole time. So he's been slaying everyone in the raids and seems to be working a plan of self-preservation. But God really is not mentioned in this process. David keeps getting closer and closer to a breaking point. How long can he keep this up? After running from Saul for so long, he now appears to be walking away from trusting the Lord's promise that he, David, will be king and that the Lord can make a way for him. So David and his men get sent home. Now here's a little spoiler spoiler alert if you haven't read first and second Samuel. This battle that happens between the Philistines and the Israelites, the Philistines win. Saul and his sons are killed. Jonathan is killed. It was like a brother to David. But David and his men are over three days away from that battle. God was looking out for David. David. So now we come to 1 Samuel 30, just our text for today. So let's look at this together. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail the widow of, Nab- of, of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for, this pe- for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God." So this is the breaking point. David got, God got David out of this incredibly impossible situation. And they're relieved. And they're traveling home. Two day journey, three day journey. And maybe finally I can breathe a little bit. But when they get home, the Amalekites had raided and burned the city and taken all the people. We know from what we can read because the writer lets us know that everyone's still alive. But they don't know that. They are weeping and screaming because in their minds, the people are taken, the people are dead, they will be sold into slavery. My world has come undone. We've been on the run. We've been doing this because one day, David, you're going to be the king. It's going to be good. We're loyal to you. All is going to be well. We do this for our country. We do this for our family. We do this. Our family is gone. Who cares about our country? Who cares about any of this? David, we're going to stone you. What have you done? And they're thinking about their wives. They're thinking about their sons, their daughters. And they are screaming. They're not hiring wailers and weepers that you see in the New Testament when people die. They are grown Navy SEAL plus pluses screaming and crying. And they are broken men. You would be too. You would be too. I would be at the end of myself. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. The pain is impossible, the loss is beyond a nightmare because you know that you're awake. We don't have any strength left, just pain. David and his men are undone, and many of them want to kill David. So we need to take a pause. Let's pause for a second. Before we accuse David as not having what it takes, let's remember, David killed lions and bears and Goliath the giant when he was just a boy. David is a tough man, and David has a proven track record of being tough Often wise, not always wise, but often wise and often humble. David has showed great leadership, but David is undone. He's at the end of himself. And it doesn't say in these texts, but we know that he is, he's, he's anxious because these men want to kill him. But I think, I think that David would say to his men, I understand. I understand. I hate this too, but I understand why you want to take me out. He's undone. His wives have been taken. And he has no idea if they're alive. He has no idea if they've already been sold into slavery. But here we find him emptied out of tears. He's past the end of himself. So this is not about being masculine or not. It's about being human. So let's take a double pause. Pain and trouble come upon all of us. Sometimes from obvious sin, sometimes from the slow fade of not trusting the Lord, often it has nothing to do with faith. We just live in a broken and dying world. So what is the measure of resiliency and strength? Is it determined by not being bothered by hard things or being able to bounce back from tragedy? What if the goal wasn't even about, uh, even about bouncing back to normal, but bouncing to a place of real help? Or better yet, bouncing to a person who can really help. What if it's not even about, about bouncing at all, but falling into the arms of our King, or being picked up off the floor by the Creator the universe. Verse 36, chapter 30, verse 6 says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So somewhere in it all, David remembered the Lord and went to him. Here's a quote by Alexander McLaren. He says this, David can no longer say, my house, like his family, his people, his tribe. He can no longer say, my house, my city, or my possessions, but he could say, my God. A great way to strengthen ourselves in the Lord is by remembering that you are his, that you are his, and that he is yours. This is the best place of belonging, The pr- being in the presence of God, our Father, our Creator. Another great way of strengthening ourselves in the Lord is by recalling God's promises. And we don't, we don't see it here explicitly, but we see similar language with Jonathan. And So we're going to look back in 1 Samuel 23, 15-18, because this term, strengthening in the Lord, it rings back to Jonathan encouraging David. By reminding him of God's promise, First Samuel twenty three fifteen through eighteen, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zeph of Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, "Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you." You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. So, so Jonathan in that place, he's saying, hey, Samuel has said that you will be king. God is going to preserve you. He's going to take care of you. This is going to happen. You're not going to be killed because this is what's going to happen. Now, Jonathan also says, and I'll be beside you. And he's not. He, Jonathan is killed. So Jonathan's not making all these these promises to David in that moment. Jonathan is reminding David simply of the promises of God through Samuel that he would be the king. And so I believe that in this moment there is something that that David remembers. One, I'm not going to be stoned and killed today but two, I will be the king of Israel. And there's something that we don't know because we don't see it, but we could read all of David's psalms. There was a wrestling, there was a pain, there was a hurting, but there was a resolve in that moment to continue on and to press on. So he recalls the presence of God. He goes to God, his God, and he recalls promises. So we have God's presence helps us. That's how we are strengthened in the Lord is the presence of God. I almost read Footprints in the Sand today. Go and read it later. I I, I will get my preacher card revoked if I read that poem out loud. It's a beautiful poem. In the depths, in pain, God is carrying us, but it seems like He is not there. But His presence is all the more closer. But just because we cannot see Him, it doesn't mean He's not there. He is. God's presence is there. And God's promise is there. And then remembering God's power. One reason we desire to push each other in spiritual disciplines is because we know this is how we see, know, and experience God better. Spiritual disciplines, it's not about checking boxes. But, enjoying Jesus and glorifying God. It's about knowing who we are in Christ, our union with Him. Who am I? Who is Jesus? I am in Christ. Christ is in me. This is the best place for me to be. And this is an eternal place. I am saved. I am safe. I have an eternal destiny in heaven with God forever and ever. But knowing who we are in Christ... But being able to talk with Him through prayer, our prayer life, and also fellowship, to take seriously His call to be united in Christian fellowship, these are ways that we can be strengthened in the Lord. And to hear His love for us and His instructions to us through the Word, for us to be in God's Word, and about being about the good news of Jesus, sharing the gospel with others, Being immersed in the gospel for ourselves. Do you have a working gospel fluency? Can you speak the language of the gospel of Christ to yourself? Can you speak into the times where you are in sin and you need to be reminded of the forgiveness of Christ and the freedom that is found in Christ and also seek continual forgiveness and go to Him daily? Do you have a gospel fluency of knowing what Jesus has done for you and what he continues to do for you. And when these hard, unbearable, impossible times hit, that gospel fluency of knowing that Christ is with me, God is with me, having his word, being able to talk to him, having already practiced good fellowship with other people that you know there's a group of people that are going to be around you that you can talk to. So these are foundational ways that we taste and see that God is good. So when we taste and see that life is bitter, we know we can go back to Him and drink from Him. We are prone to wander and leave the God we love. I want to highlight one simple spiritual discipline in these, in its prayer. I believe that we see David do this because we have a whole book of Psalms that he wrote so many of these. That David was a praying man. So we're going to look at this. We're going to start with this basic prayer method. It's called ACTS. A-C-T-S. You can use this to study the Bible, but it's also a good prayer method. And A, it's adoration. Praising God. Worshipping God. Reminding God who He is, not because He forgets who He is. Sometimes I forget who I am. And I need to be reminded who I am in Christ. But God knows who He is. But by us telling God, you are the creator of the world, He's not like, oh, thank you for reminding me of that. I forgot about that. It's for us. It's like, no, I forgot about that. I'm trying to be the creator of my world. You're the creator of the world. Adoration, it puts praise where it needs to be. And that's on God. Psalm 56 Three, four, and eight. David said this When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then we move on to confession. Confessing to God, not only who He is, but confessing to Him that we need Him, that we go astray, that we have sinned against Him. Psalm 51, 1-2. through 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love, according to Your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then T, thanksgiving. Being thankful. This is Sometimes, for some of us, I don't know why, but sometimes this is a hard thing for us to practice. Often, any of these can be hard, but just being thankful, saying thankful, saying thank you to one another, but thanking the Lord. Psalm 9 1 I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High and then supplication. Praying for ourselves, the things that we need. Praying for others, the things that they need. And this is why it's good to be in community, to be in a community on mission group, a calm group, so that you can be praying for one another and know each other's burdens, the light and the heavy burdens. Psalm six says this, "'Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace.'" In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So, prayer, we see David goes to God in prayer, and God strengthens him. But I'll summarize the rest of 1 Samuel 30. We see that after he is strengthened, he actually goes to God to seek his will. Like, what's going to happen? What do I need to do? And God assures David that he will surely overtake the Amalekites and he will surely rescue. So again, David okay, will we'll, we'll rescue the people, but he still doesn't know that none of them have been killed. He doesn't know this. And they do rescue them. All of them. Every single wife, old man, boy, girl, that was taken. They are fully rescued by David. All the children, all the people, fully rescued. And in the midst of them trying to get and find the Amalekites, where are they? They don't just happen upon this slave that has been thrown out. This Egyptian slave gets thrown out by the Amalekites. He's just wandering around. And David and his men find him. And they're like, dude, you look like you're about to die. What's going on? he's like, well, I was a slave of the Malachites, and I was of no use to them anymore, so they threw me out. All right, well, here's some water. Here's some bread. Here's some cake. Here's some raisins. And they, they love on the dude. They give him some, some help. And then they're just like, hey, all right, where are your people? <laughs> They're not your people, and you know that. Where are the Amalekites? And he's like, just swear to me by your God that you won't kill me after I show you. David's like, all right, it's a deal. He takes them directly to the Amalekites, and David and his men totally slay them and get all the men, wives, and children, all is rescued, just as God had said, to the full. This was the hand of God. So they defeat the Amalekites, and they come away with great spoils, which David shares with all his men. Because on this journey to go fight the Amalekites, about 200 of his men were just like, I I just can't go anymore. I can't move. My heart is done. My family is gone. I'm physically exhausted. I just can't go anymore. And David's like, you stay back, we'll go. And they go and defeat them. They come back, and when they come back to these men, the men that went to fight were like, No, 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 David, you don't get to give, you don't need to give these warriors that didn't go, you don't need to give them any of the spoil. And David's like, No, these are our men. They stayed back with the supplies, these are our men. It became a statute for how Israel did things. It didn't seem fair. But David's like, no, these are our people. These are our men. They've been fighting with us. We will give them this. And then David also sends to a lot of his friends in Judah, he also sends them some of the spoils. So David shows great strength in leadership in the midst of devastation. Most men would have folded. But David was strengthened in the Lord, sought the Lord, believed God that he would go and rescue And this is what happened. But that could have been the end of David. But the Lord strengthened him and led his men. So I want to pause one more time. This passage is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. We are not promised complete resolve and peace from our heartbreaks this side of heaven. We're not to read into this and just think all of our issues and problems It's going to be fully, what we lost will be fully restored. We're not promised that. David was promised this. We're not. But we are. But just not this side of heaven. All things will be made right when we see Jesus face to face. But God does promise that he is with us. And that he can give us a peace that passes all understanding. But that doesn't completely remove the tears, the pain, in the confusion. So let us know how we can help you. Some of you today are experiencing some great pain. Let us know. When I say us, your calm group, the current elders of the church, past elders of the church, those of you that you know each other and you trust them, let us know. We want to listen. We want to pray with you. We want you to know that God is present. He does have promises for us. And He is powerful. He gave David strength and He gives us strength. We have a fuller understanding of the One who would come to save us this side of the cross. We have a bigger understanding that David had. Because we know Jesus and what He has done. And Jesus, who would surely overtake our enemy and surely rescue us. It's not going to be on the screen, but Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, Jesus had... And he has what it takes. He is tough enough. He can do it. You know, he's the only one who ever has. David, as we are going to see, David goes on to fail multiple times in big ways. He, an adulterer, a murderer, just running from God in different ways. And so do we. We have Christ, we have His promises, we have His presence, we have His power through the Holy Spirit, and we still run away from God. So Jesus is definitely better than David. Jesus sank to the depths of pain to bring us back to the Father. He is our Christus Victor. He is Christ the Conqueror. He defeats Satan and evil and frees us. Jesus willingly comes for us. He defeats sin, death, and Satan and gives us the spoils. But He's also our substitute. He lives and dies in our place. You see, we were slaves to sin, not because we were innocently captured but because we chose and we choose to not trust God. It's God's mercy and grace that He would even come to rescue us, to give us His presence, His promises, and His power. Jesus saves us fully to the end, which is eternity, no end, with Him. Each and every single one of His children, His bride, He rescues from sin, death, slavery to the full. He is our living King. He rose from the dead. He is alive. He is our great high priest and suffering servant who can sympathize with our suffering. So yes, please come to us. But please go to Christ. Go to your Father. He can sympathize. Jesus can sympathize with you in your pain, in your hurt. And Jesus too was strengthened in the garden before the crucifixion. This will always be mysterious to me. I'll say it every time I preach when I talk about Jesus in the garden. Because He was fully without sin. But He also ate food. Right? He needed food. There's nothing sinful. And he also knew I am about to be separated from my father. And he in the garden was praying and sweat, blood of just thinking about that separation. But he was still without sin in there. And the angels came and strengthened Jesus. They served him. Our great high priest understands us. But yet, so much more and without sin. He's preparing a place for us. Jesus is preparing a place for us with no more pain. No more fear of things coming undone. No more heartbreaks. So He's not just rescuing us. But He's got a kingdom for us. A better kingdom than the kingdom of Israel. But you see, our goal isn't about the place. It's not about just not having pain anymore. The goal's really about our King. It's being with Christ. I heard John Piper, a, a, a pastor, a preacher, a writer, he said one time, he said, A lot of you that are Christians, this is a weird thing to say, he said, A lot of you are going to get to heaven. You're kind of going to be like, "Uh, Jesus, what are you doing here? Oh, great. In other words, some of us are just so thinking about just being in a place of no more sin, suffering, and death, which is beautiful. And it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, this is about you. We're with you. You're the reason why we're here. We get to be with you. There's no more sun. There's no more need for a sun because you are here. You're radiant light. You are the one. You are the one. Our goal isn't about the place. Our goal isn't just about no more pain. But that is a truth. And that is beautiful. It is about a person, the presence of our God and our King. But we also don't put our faith in our faith. But our faith is put in Christ Himself. Because our faith is flaky, Jesus is not. I think David in those moments, I don't know how great his faith was, but he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. He remembered his God. And this is where true strength comes from, Jesus himself. And he is more than willing and able. He gives of himself fully so that we can be made whole.